good to be here. Uh, we're very glad at Hope Pregnancy Center to partner with RUF. Uh, we share office space in a building downtown here on Howard Street. And um, college, at the College of Charleston was a very formative time in my own life. And, and you'll see because of some of my story that I'll share tonight. Um, but, but let me start out by saying it feels a little weird. Because uh, generally when I'm asked to speak or preach, uh, I generally go from a text, I read the text, then I go through it verse by verse, uh, very much in a linear fashion because that's how my mind works. Um, but tonight I'm not going to start out with scripture, uh, so bear with me. Um, what I'm going to start out with um, is rather some of my, my story. Uh, it's about an issue that comes up in Christian circles a lot. Uh, if you attend a local church, it comes up in the local church uh, as well. Uh, the topic first appeared on my radar back in 1989 when I was a junior in high school. And I can remember the night vividly. I was lying on my couch in our den in, on Sullivan's Island, South Carolina, where I was raised. Um, I was watching some kind of war movie, I, I can recollect, and then all of a sudden, some very foreign, foreign and intrusive thoughts came into my brain. Very unwelcome. And at that moment, in the reaction to the thoughts, my body began to shake. My heart began to race fearlessly and furiously. I broke out into a sweat, and I thought that I was beginning to literally go crazy. I barely slept that night. I prayed feverishly. I reminded myself constantly of who I was going over in my, my brain, like repeating my name and saying, I know who I am. Because at the core of these thoughts was a disconnect with reality that had occurred that evening in the comfort and safety of my own home. All of a sudden, life, the world, human beings, my own identity, my own self-awareness became undone. Somehow, my mind had had a major break with reality. The panic that ensued led me to believe that my life up to that point was over. That I would never be the same. That I would never recover and lead a quote-unquote normal life again. Well, years later, in college, I would find out that there was a name for what I experienced that night. And for all of you psych majors here tonight... This is what it is. It's called depersonalization. And this is simply is one of the many symptoms of a panic attack. Of all the panic symptoms, it's probably the hardest to describe or even recognize as a symptom. For this reason, according to the experts, it can be quite disturbing to people who experience it, even though it is completely physiologically harmless. 
People have a, varying reactions to depersonalization, we're told. But a common theme is that they are losing touch with reality, and they fear that they will lose it for good. That was my junior year in high school. So fast forward to my junior year in college, at the College of Charleston. These episodes continued with some frequency. Um, some months more than other months. And the only way that I knew to cope with these episodes uh, was to forego sleeping in my bed and sleep on our couch in our den where we had a large TV, watch TV until I got too tired and was able to fall asleep, letting the TV or the TV show occupy my thoughts kind of babysit my thoughts, if you will, if you will, so I wouldn't go back into one of those panic attacks. Um, I still had to constantly reassure myself of who I was, that I wasn't going crazy, and that God somehow was going to take care of me, even though it felt like something much different. So in my junior year of college, however, all of these coping mechanisms failed me. And I was spiraling out of control. I was deprived of sleep. I was failing classes. I was feeling hopeless. But providentially, and that means how God continually interacts with all of His creation to bring about His perfect will. Providentially, the director at the counseling center at CFC was a Christian. And so I began counseling to try and deal, deal with my anxiety that was out of control, as well as some other issues that I was facing as well. I also ended up dropping out of college for a time, not knowing if I would return. At one point, this counselor suggested that I take some medicine. And you know, back in, high, back in college, junior in college, I'm thinking to myself, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, how, how, is a, how is medicine going to help me deal with these intrusive thoughts? And that was, that was my reasoning at the moment. Um, but she kept after me. She kept on encouraging me. She kept on challenging me to be open to uh, medical intervention. And she compared it to a 22 caliber rifle. She said that you'll be amazed because these pills can act like a 22 when you shoot it at a target, just obliterating the intrusive thoughts inside your head. So, I finally relented. I went to the psychiatrist in the counseling center at College of Charleston, and she put me on an antidepressant. And within 10 days or so, I was deeply depressed. And if you know anything about antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication, you know that it's a trial and error, because it's not like when you have a bacterial infection and you take an antibiotic, like penicillin, and they know exactly what type of infection that takes care of and how your body is going to react to that. 
with med medicine for chemical imbalances in your brain. It's all trial and error. And it usually takes two to three weeks to get into your system, and then you kind of have an understanding of how you're going to react and how it's going to help you or how it's going to send you in a tailspin. And so that antidepressant actually sent me into a tailspin. And so I was dating my wife at the time, and I remember coming home from class one day, and I said, Del, um, when I was coming over the bridge today, the Cooper River Bridge, if you know anything about Charleston, you know this big bridge that spans the peninsula to Mount Pleasant. Um, I said, I thought, I thought long and hard about just driving my car off the bridge today. And she kind of looked at me incredulously. And it was at that moment she said, you need, to, you need to call your psychiatrist and tell her what's going on. And so I did. And I went back to the psychiatrist and after some divine guidance. And it really was divine guidance because uh, literally what happened was that there was a, another young lady in FCA, the, the campus ministry I was involved in, who had anxiety attacks and she had tried a different medicine. And then secondly, I, I went into the library and I was so desperate that I went through all the periodicals and the articles back on the microfiche back then to see what medication, what anti-anxiety medication there was that could possibly give me relief. And it was then that I settled on one called anaphronil. And I've been on it ever since. So the issue, obviously, that I'm talking about is mental health. You know, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's some other condition. The issue is the proverbial elephant in the room. And one that is all too often not addressed in the Christian community. And if it is addressed, it's not addressed well either from the pulpit or in a small group setting. And so why is that? It, it's not something new. But if you're one that suffers in this way, my first point to you of encouragement is that you're in good company. You are in good company. The Bible, one thing that if you've read the Bible, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, one thing that you learn is that it, it contains very raw and real testimony of real people who have real issues. And the Bible assures us that we are not alone in this life that is filled with challenges for all of us. And specifically, those of us with mental health issues. One pastor says this, The Bible itself is full of examples. David made a habit of saying things like, My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with my tears. Jonah, perhaps you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah became so angry with God that he wanted to die. 
Jeremiah thought his life was so void of hope or value that he cursed the day of his birth. Elijah was so ridden with anxiety that he begged God to end his life. And then recently I've been reading a great book on Ruth. The story of Ruth and Naomi. And, and Naomi, in, in that book of Ruth, was so disillusioned over the loss of not only her husband, but her two sons. And she felt like the Lord's presence had left her. Anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder. If you are one with any of those, the Bible testifies that you are not alone. Many of you heard Scott Souls speak last year here at RUF, or two years ago, perhaps. Um, one year ago, a little over a year. Um, he wrote a great book called Jesus Outside Our Lines, um, or Jesus Outside the Lines. He wrote another great book called Befriend, um, which I've got the opportunity to facilitate an upcoming chapter on that in two weeks on befriending vulnerable women and humans not yet born. So a colleague of mine at the Pregnancy Center and I will be facilitating that discussion in the Gospel Friendships Community Group. Um, but this is what Scott Saul says in an article entire, entitled Anxiety and Depression, My Strange Friends. So a little bit about Scott Saul's, uh, pastor of a big church in Nashville right now, previously served on an even bigger church in Manhattan with a guy by the name of Timothy Keller that you may have heard of. This is what Saul says. I am one of those ministers who has endured a handful of seasons of anxiety and depression. Most of the time, thankfully, the affliction has been more low-grade than intense. On one occasion, though, it pretty much flattened me physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. I call this particular season my living nightmare. That season, as well as others, occurred while serving in ministry. How bad was the living nightmare? I couldn't fall asleep for two weeks straight. Even sleeping pills could not calm the adrenaline and knock me out, which only made things worse. At night, I was terrified of the quiet, knowing I was in for another all-night battle with insomnia that I was likely to lose. The sunrise also terrified me, an unwelcome reminder that another day of impossible struggle was ahead of me. I lost nearly 35 pounds in two months. I could not concentrate in conversations with people. I found no comfort in God's promises from Scripture. This is a pastor who preaches the Word of God every Sunday, saying that he found no comfort in God's promises from Scripture. I was unable to pray anything but help and please end this. If depression or anxiety are your unwelcome companions, you are not alone.
because of being in the church for a long time, because of my own story. I'm convinced that in Christian circles, we need to develop a biblically balanced, faithful approach to this delicate subject. One that dispels the stigma of mental illness and gives us hope. One author writes in an article called True Believers Don't Suffer from Depression. She says, His false statement rang in my ear like a noisy gong and then hung in the air like smoke waiting to be cleared away. I wasn't exactly sure how this conversation had started, but one thing led to another, and here I was with this visitor and a small group of men and women discussing the existence of depression among Christians. It would have been a hard conversation for anyone to have, but for me, it was even harder still, because little did this visitor know that I was only now emerging from the terrible pit of depression myself. Little did he know that for me, this conversation was personal because I felt like I had just been to hell and back. Little did he know that my heart had wrestled and my body had collapsed under the pressure of depression, but that Jesus had held me the whole way through. Can you relate to that? If that is you, you are not alone. I'm 45 now. Uh, Chris mentioned we have five children. Been married 22 years. And I don't think it was until my 40s that I realized that balance is a much sought after yet particularly elusive goal in life. For instance, I'm I'm either all in on eating healthily or I'm gorging on carbs all the time. I'm either working out seven days a week or I'm chained to my bed or my couch. I'm either spending daily time in the Bible Or I'm simply just waiting to go to church on Sunday to hear the Bible read to me. Balance is a much sought after, yet particularly elusive goal in my life. And perhaps it is in your life as well. And And one day I was thinking about this. Why is that? Why is balance so difficult? Why do we as people like to hang out on the extremes of the issues and camp out there. And so I went back and I started thinking about the big story of the Bible. And and the big story of the Bible is commonly broken down into four themes. You have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, and then restoration. And so I started thinking about creation and the fall. And what exactly happened at the fall? 
when sin entered into the story. And so I conclude that this lack of balance is a direct result of the fall when sin entered into the world and corrupted all of our affections. There is no part of us that has not been affected by sin. It's then when idolatry became a part of the human condition. When we started taking good things that God had given us and we had made them into ultimate things. So what happened in that transaction? We took, God gave us good things, but then we made them into ultimate things. We became out of balance. And we're chronically out of balance. At least I am. And this is especially evident when you look at the issue of mental illness in Christian circles. On one end of the counseling spectrum, you have Christian counselors who think the Bible offers no substantive critique of contemporary psychology. But then on the other end, you have Christian counselors who believe that modern psychology is of the devil and they refuse to incorporate any modern theories into their quote-unquote biblical counseling. You see the two extremes? And when someone shares his or her struggle with depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness... This is what we're guilty of saying to that person. I'm sorry. Have you exercised? Just get over it. Have you tried medicine? <coughs> Don't try medicine because it's the devil's juice. <laughs> Have you been praying and reading your Bible? And lastly... Well, I'll pray for you. And here I go on my merry way. We need a biblically based response and action plan that aims for balance and begins with compassion. I think Scott Saul said it best. And this goes with any issue, whether inside Christian circles, outside Christian circles, any issue facing humanity. We must never presume to understand what it is like to walk in shoes we will never wear. We must never presume to understand what it is like to walk in shoes that we will never wear. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. I don't know all of your stories here in this room tonight. But there is one who does. And his name is Jesus. Notice in this verse that there's an assumption that all of us have issues that we need to come to him for rest. Jesus is not surprised by our neediness. He's not surprised by your anxiety or your depression or cutting or substance abuse. But He invites us to come to Him in humility and offers a safe place for us to share our weaknesses our challenges, and our shortcomings. All throughout the Gospels, what do we see Jesus doing? We see Jesus going into broken places to minister, to serve, and sometimes heal broken people. All of us here tonight are broken. In one way or another. And for some that means that we are stricken with mental illness. Yet your story is a part of God's larger story. Even in those times when you can't get out of bed. And just as God continues to direct His story of redemption and restoration through world events, through His church, through all of His creation, His everlasting arms are long enough to rescue you, even you, from the depths of your despair. Not a lot of practical implications tonight from me. I don't have the time to do that. I hope to come back and give you some practical advice on if you find yourself dealing with a mental illness. Um, Please know that you're welcome to reach out to me. Um, Chris has my contact. He's got my digits. Um, And I'm glad to sit down with you. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I still have anxiety attacks to this day, but they're much less frequent because of the medicine. Um, And and I'll be glad to uh, just sit down with you, listen to you, and talk it through. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that uh, you have not left this to our own devices. That uh, Jesus, you have a heart for the ones of us who are perhaps most in need. And we thank you that you are a God who has entered into the brokenness among us and that surrounds us. And that you have come to share our burdens and to ultimately give us hope.
in the midst of hopelessness. So I pray for these young men and women tonight, for those here that are facing specific issues of mental illness and other issues as well, that you, Jesus, would be near to them. Be real to them tonight as perhaps never before in their lives. And I pray that as they walk away tonight, that they would understand that your mercy chases after them, that your grace is good and sweet and nourishing and healing ultimately. May you be praised. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You,